From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer. Many countries have, in fact, repatriated male ISIS fighters, but the debate seems to be about the women. Fewer than 60 Americans traveled to Syria to join ISIS, and nearly all Americans captured on the battlefield have been returned to the United States. But more than a dozen American women who married Islamic State fighters are being detained in northern Syria in refugee camps and asking to return home. The women and their children are caught in a legal limbo. Kunal Parker, whose legal scholarship addresses the history of immigration and nationality law, considers the vexing case of the American ISIS brides. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Kunal. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, ISIS brides. The New York Times recently profiled Hoda Muthana, a 20-year-old college student who fell for Islamic State propaganda and was smuggled into the caliphate. So I guess over the next four years, she married three ISIS fighters uh, before she surrendered to coalition forces last month. Now she's professing remorse and she's asking to be returned to Alabama. Is there any historical context to stories like hers? Uh, well, there's plenty of historical context for the problem that her case poses, right? So Mutana's family, uh, her lawyer and she herself through her lawyer, uh, are all claiming that she is a U.S. citizen by virtue of birth in the United States. And the United States government is actually denying that claim. So Secretary of State Pompeo and the State Department have taken the position that Ms. Mutana is not a U.S. citizen by virtue of her birth in the United States. And therefore, she is not entitled to a passport and she's not entitled to a return to the United States. That is the basis of their claim, and they have argued this in court. So the larger issue here, it seems to me, is one that goes to two things. First, of, uh, first, whether she is in fact a citizen at birth, by virtue of her birth in the United States. If she is determined to be a citizen of the United States by virtue of birth within the United States, the bigger constitutional question is whether the U.S. government has the right to cancel the citizenship of U.S. citizens, mm -hmm. right? And so for most people who've been thinking about and commenting on the case, the case goes to this large issue of involuntary expatriation. Mm -hmm. So you have the right as a U.S. citizen to choose to give up your citizenship if you wish to assume the citizenship of another country or what for whatever reason. But do you have the right, can you have your citizenship taken away from you against your will, mm -hmm. right? That's the question that this case raises. Interesting. And you're not denying your citizenship by merely burning your passport. You would have to make some sort of formal declaration. Right. And as it turns out, as uh, you might not be surprised to find out, there's a whole jurisprudence on this issue. Mm -hmm. So in the early 20th century, uh, the United States government took the position that various acts, if performed by U.S. citizens, whether by birthright or naturalized, would amount to um, expatriation by law, right? Mm -hmm. So many people, thousands of people in the uh, United States lost their citizenship for committing various acts, mm -hmm. uh, acts such as um, serving in the military of another country, taking an important job in a foreign government, uh, voting in a foreign election, and so on, right? Right. 
Um, in the 1950s and 60s, the United States Supreme Court essentially made it very, very difficult for the U.S. government to take away people's citizenship mm -hmm. against their will. So the general legal position now is that you have to affirmatively uh, declare that you want to give up your U.S. citizenship and that a mere set of acts will not amount to that. Um, so that's one of the questions that this case raises. Now, the U.S. government is not saying that she is a citizen and it's taking her citizenship away. Mm -hmm. They're saying she was not a citizenship to begin with. She was never a citizen. She was never a citizen. Mm -hmm. But assuming she is, it would be interesting to find out what that position would be. But if she wasn't a citizen, would she have a passport? If she's not a citizen, so so the issue is complicated, mm -hmm. right? So Ms. Mutana was born to a Yemeni diplomat, mm -hmm. right? As it turns out, uh, the legal position is that if you are born to a diplomat, you are not considered born within the jurisdiction of the United States mm. for purposes of the 14th Amendment, and therefore you don't count as a birthright citizen, regardless of whether you happen to be born within U.S. territory. Mm -hmm. Her case is factually complicated because her father stopped being employed by the Yemeni mission to the United Nations mm -hmm. before she was born. So she was born in the U.S., I think in New Jersey, after her father stopped being a diplomat, but the UN didn't notify the US government that he had ceased to be a diplomat until after her birth. So the State Department's position is that as far as they're concerned, she was born to her father while he was still a diplomat, mm -hmm. right? That's that position. Um, and they're not, that's what they've argued in court. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the other women that they profiled, that the Times profiled, has dual citizenship. Right. So, but this issue, I, I want to go back to this issue of involuntary expatriation. Mm -hmm. And this is something that more people need to know about, right? So in the 19th century and in the 20th century, women could lose their citizenship if they married men who were citizens of other countries. Mm -hmm. American women could lose their citizenship if they married men who were citizens of other countries. And this was litigated by an American woman who was married to a national of Great Britain in mm -hmm. the early 20th century. Uh, she married this man and she found out that she couldn't vote by virtue of having married this man. She sued before our, the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 1915, the U.S. Supreme Court declared that it was entirely permissible for the U.S. government to do this. Thousands of American women, mm -hmm. therefore, found themselves unknowingly rendered alien in their own country because they had chosen to marry men who were not U.S. citizens. The analog, of course, didn't hold. So mm -hmm. American men who married women who were not citizens didn't lose their citizenship, right? right? And so this idea that somehow it's, it goes back, I think, to this very old idea of women's citizenship as somehow being derivative of their husbands, mm -hmm. right? So you lost it if you married someone who was a national of a foreign country. And it could be said that we are seeing some lingering vestige of this problem uh, to the extent that uh, many countries have, in fact, 
repatriated male ISIS fighters, but the debate seems to be about the women mm -hmm. who ended up going to uh, countries or territories ruled by the Islamic State, who then married nationals of whatever country, right? right? So, so, you know, the U.S. has repatriated a lot of male U.S. citizens who joined ISIS, mm -hmm. but, you know, the the sort of public controversy seems to be centering around her. Right. Now, the men that, dozens of men that uh, were brought back to the United States all face charges of fighting for a foreign government or a foreign army. Um, and, and so, so it will she. We, they don't lose their citizenship, but they are. They don't lose their citizenship. So you don't. But they're charged criminally. Right. So just like a U.S. citizen, a U.S. citizen can be charged for having committed a crime and can be punished for having committed a crime, but you don't lose your citizenship right. thereby, right? Um, so this is what the Supreme Court essentially made very difficult beginning in the 50s and, in, in the 50s and going on, uh, into the 60s, um, is acts committed by U.S. citizens, the court held, are not sufficient to strip them of their citizenship. So the U.S. Supreme Court, in a very famous pronouncement, uh, Chief Justice Warren said, citizenship is nothing less than the right to have rights, mm -hmm. right? So if you take away the right to have rights, you essentially undercut all of your mm -hmm. abilities to have rights. Um, that's what the debate is about. So the I'm, I'm trying to kind of grasp the ISIS brides versus the ISIS fighters that we're we're treating them differently. But they is is there any is there any determination made to what their role was? They were supporting a fighter. They weren't a fighter. They're not an enemy combatant. They supported an enemy combatant. Well, I mean, regardless, they will face charges uh, which carry substantial in prison, mm -hmm. uh, prison terms, uh, sort of years, if not decades, mm -hmm. right? Now, Miss uh, Muthana's lawyer has said that she is very willing to, in fact, face trial in the United States, mm -hmm. right? And she is willing to face the possibility of punishment. So, uh, but it, the U.S. government is, of course, is saying that's refusing to let her come back because she's not a citizen. So she is not trying to flee um, you know, legal retribution. Right. And I don't think I know much about the other women, do you? So the other women, uh, the case that's been publicized quite a lot is, in fact, uh, the case of a British woman mm -hmm. um, who um, is of a British Bangladeshi, mm -hmm. right? And she, uh, you know, went to the ISIS territories and she married uh, someone who I believe is a citizen of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, but she now wants to return to the UK. And uh, in some cases, these individuals are fearful, uh, you know, for they're, they're, they feel that they're in peril. Mm -hmm. of, of, you know, their personal safety is in jeopardy. Um, the British government's position is that uh, this individual, her name is Shamima Begum, um, is they, they've canceled her British citizenship on the ground that she has dual citizenship, uh, i.e. citizenship of Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. The Bangladeshi government has, in fact, said that she's not a citizen of Bangladesh. So we're in this situation where, um, you know, multiple governments are, in fact, refusing to take these people mm -hmm. in on the ground that they're not their citizens, uh, just as the U.S. is with uh, Ms. Mutana. And, you know, this is not, in fact, 
a new problem. I mean, the problem of uh, statelessness, right, mm -hmm. of individuals who are citizens of no country is in fact an old problem and, and a real and a very serious one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we don't want your bad hats back. Um, this is really interesting. Um, so uh, in cases of other American ISIS brides where you don't have the citizenship issue, do we have any idea of how that will shake out? Um, well, I mean, as a U.S. citizen, you have a right to enter the United States, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the U.S. government cannot refuse you the right to return to the United States. Um, so presumably, um, I don't know that there's a lot of um, legal precedent that's already been established mm -hmm. uh, in these cases, but it's possible that some of these individuals will be facing uh, prison terms, mm -hmm. right? Interesting. For providing material support to terrorists or, right. and so on. Very interesting. Uh, anything else? I would say that the ISIS pride story is spectacular in the sense that we've been sort of focused on the barbarities of ISIS. And so this is sort of very newsworthy. I think the larger problem is that the case of Ms. Mutana actually illustrates something that is uh, a bigger problem, uh, particularly right now, which is that the Trump administration is pushing various strategies to strip citizenship, um, strip individuals of citizenship. So involuntary expatriation of birthright citizens or individuals claiming birthright citizenship like Ms. Mutana is one problem. Mm -hmm. What the Trump administration is also doing is trying to reinvigorate denaturalization. So setting aside naturalizations of immigrants who have been citizens for extended periods of time on the ground that uh, the naturalization um, procedures were in fact um, uh, circumvented uh, for reasons of fraud and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So what we're witnessing with these ISIS brides is uh, in fact, countries refusing to take responsibility for people who might be their own. I mean, it's very easy, in fact, to say that Ms. Mutana is not American because she's joined ISIS. On the other hand, perhaps we should think harder about her radicalization as part of the larger problem of radicalization in the United States and also think about uh, what it is that we as a country are doing in terms of refusing not only to accept people like her, but actively trying to expel people who are here, whom, for whatever reason, we deem to be undesirable. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of larger problem of denaturalization, which I would argue is also linked to the problem of deportation. Mm -hmm. Right. So Thank you, Stephen Miller. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform and tell your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's show was brought to you by the Managing Compliance Across Borders program at Miami Law, June 26th through the 28th. The interactive executive level program is aimed at compliance, risk, and audit management counsel and executives from firms and corporations around the world. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu backslash CLE.